You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Secret Rooms. Definitive Edition. Chapter 23. Settling Dust. From the Journals of Grey and Penrose. Elkview, West Virginia, October 21st, 1882. James. The journey back to the cartographer encampment was conducted in silence. Nine soldiers had come to our aid, along with the captain. Ten lives wagered upon the survival of four people, two of whom had vanished without trace. As one of the two survivors, I experienced a potent mixture of both gratitude and wretchedness. As the sun rose, the severity of the loss of my eye took its toll upon me, as I washed and rubbed at it, clinging to the horse with my knees, I began to cast my mind over the various pursuits and tasks that would be either diminished or else barred to me altogether, should this partial blindness fail to dissipate over time. What surgery I had performed in the past had required all my focus, not to mention the perception of depth that a single eye cannot encompass. My reading will suffer, as will my alertness. My ability to assess a room or an object for its hidden clues, to quietly study another person's body language and facial expression as they speak in order to ascertain withheld feelings, these are all halved in effectiveness. I feel at this point like the hastily arranged fragments of a man, as though my kit bag will forever be lacking in crucial instruments. Abigail had been expecting her own horse as we escaped the house of Erstecht, and glanced about for Daisy. Of course I would not have expected the poor beast to make three urgent journeys in one night. We later learned of Annie's ride back to Elkview in the darkest hours, not stopping or slowing, pushing the animal beyond the limits of her endurance, until finally, within three miles of the encampment, Daisy's poor heart gave out and she sunk to the ground, never to find her feet again. Her last act had been to steady herself, so as not to fall on her rider. Annie had no time to weep or succumb to despair, and left her in the road, running the rest of the way back. Hours later, as we neared Elkview, and the brown shape of that dauntless steed came into view, Abigail's jaw locked, and she dismounted to retrieve the saddle herself. Eleven lives. Back at Elkview, we slept for several hours. When I awoke, I found a small gift on the table beside me. Annie had been busy, and procured for the two of us a pair of sturdy leather eye patches. The note she left simply read, For when you're done explaining... Abigail and I met with her in the late afternoon, and she laid out the papers for an official report. We read our journal entries and played the Vox tubes, which, mercifully, were undamaged. I'm going to pick, pick it, it up. up. At this point we were transfixed, Captain. There was an energy flowing out of the orb and between us, and we were quite overcome. I believe the stress of the situation can be used to explain why we were making contact. 
then what happened? Listen to the second one. This is Abigail. I've got no idea how long we were out. As the second Vox tube illuminated the events, following our mutual brush with the orb, which now sat in the center of the table, a smooth black sphere of unexceptional rock. Annie glanced up at the both of us from time to time, particularly at the point of Abigail's rather stirring moment of bravery and intentions of self-sacrifice. James, get inside. What? No. I mean it. That house is ashes, so you two saddle up. We're pulling out of here. The recording ended. Yes, ma'am. It was strange to hear oneself behaving both shamefully and with admirable determination. I silently admonished myself for the former. So Carl saved both your asses? That he did, ma'am. And how do you feel about that, Private? Pretty goddamn rotten, ma'am. Oh, really? Well, if you recall, when they had us pinned down on the road from Weirwood, I hollered out to Virgil to shoot him. Why do you think you did that? I was looking for the quick and brutal way out. From the sounds of things, that wasn't the only time in the past few weeks. You... You seemed to be conjuring some pretty dark notions near the end there. At the time, I wasn't presented with a whole lot of choice. Figured that might be a way out that would let me go on my own terms. Lots of folks trapped in situations like that have had a very grave choice to make. I've seen the aftermath of decision and indecision. You're right to question your own actions, but don't beat yourself up for feeling it. But what do you feel now? Honestly, I'm a little scared of guns right now. Feels like what they're employed against is kind of tentative and fragile. All of a sudden, it's a little too easy to decide on life and death at the pull of a trigger. Besides which, I ain't gonna be any kind of a shot no more. Not with this. I'll give you a hand relearning with one eye. Either way, next time I deliberate on using a firearm, I'll be thinking a lot harder about the person on the other end. Carl was a threat to us all, no doubt about that. And given a fair chance... I would have shot him down myself. But you, with your mercy, put him, eventually, in the only place in the world a person could have been standing in order to save both my life and James's. And I can't stop thinking about how things would have gone if Carl hadn't been around. I'm very glad to hear that. We'll make a captain of you yet, Abigail. And how about you, Dr. Penrose? You holding up? I am alive. That much I am grateful for. This was a survivable, acceptable loss. Of course. So, where do you think the professor and Greta went? Well, considering his lengthy speeches on alternate worlds... He lost me several times during those. I hope you understood it. I believe I did. I'm going to write an account and a timeline of what I suspect happened in that house a great deal of which could have been illuminated by the contents of those journals Krieg had been keeping. Regrettably, and to what I fear may be my eternal frustration, I dropped the 1872 book I was carrying 
when my foot went through the floor. All we could salvage in the end were these two loose pages from 1873, which I found folded inside and had the foresight to pocket. I'm going to need to locate someone in this encampment who speaks both German and English. I'll ask around, but I haven't heard anyone around here speak in German. I need to know more about the ocular condition that has affected both Greta and Charlotte. It seems to have transferred from the orb to Abigail and myself. My present hypothesis is that the ability and the eyes are linked. You think we can open doors to other places like Greta could? It's possible. But I haven't the foggiest idea how. Have either of you tried? Since the moment I regained consciousness. I tried once or twice, but I'm not feeling how. It's like trying to tie the laces on an invisible shoe with just one finger. I can tell something's there, but it ain't responding to me. Likewise. And that's the most substantial obstacle we have to overcome. We have no expert to consult on this since he so obligingly and conveniently took himself away from us. Short of tracking him down, we are, so to speak, in the dark here. Have you tried at the same time? (laughs) That's no good. What are we even supposed to be doing? We don't even understand the concept of what should be occurring, let alone possessing the discipline to control it. Really, we ought to track down that professor. Agreed. He'd be the expert, as you say. I'm having a swell time here translating his testimony on the logistics of this thing in English. Let's see. How many P's were there in Cyclopean? He didn't say. You realize how insane this report looks. I do realize that. But you log all kinds of strange phenomena all the time, with far less scientific reasoning behind them, I might add. That's what makes this problematic. One old man rambling about a moth monster gets filed away in the crazy drawer. A whole town claims there's a werewolf in their woods, and we pay a little more attention. Two cartographers witness something that defies reason and then present compelling evidence. Well, if you can get that journal translated, we might be able to take this one to Washington. Do they have a supernatural occurrences department? Right now it's just two guys. But yeah, you could call it a department. They're real sweet, though. I know you'd like them. You think they might be able to help us? I've got no idea. This might be the first they've heard of this kind of thing. But if you're looking for a repository of all of our pooled reports of weird shit, that's where you want to go. You are taking this remarkably calmly. Truth be told, I'm just relieved that you two survived. It got pretty desperate back there. Thought I was going to have to let your Miss Holloway down. Oh, I would have haunted you something fierce if you had. (sighs) Okay, I think we're done here. Let's wrap this one up. I'm going to be in camp for a few more weeks. And in that time, we need to get you two assigned to your units. You may not be able to stay together. Oh. But you might still see one another around. Unless one of you gets drafted to head south and the other doesn't. And then... You might not. Either way, I can't be your captain forever. I'll be heading on to Washington. Well, will we see you... I mean, will we see you again after that? Oh, you'll do fine without me. I know, but... Dismissed, you two. Now go on and get. Yes, Captain.
Abigail. I found myself kicking around the yard of the cartographer headquarters in Elkview after that. James and I parted company without a word. Annie returned to her paperwork. And it was then that I realized, with Tabitha gone to North Carolina, with Sergeant Butler in Washington, Clearwater emptied, and with everyone else I knew back in Weirwood, I was without a friend in the world. I sat down on an old tree stump and cracked my shoulder bones. Too tired to find something to do. Too energized to fall asleep. Across the way, I was being watched. Virgil was shoeing a horse in the open stables, and Carl sat to one side, disassembling his gun for cleaning. Howdy, ma'am, Virgil called across. I got up, stretched and moseyed over. Howdy, Virgil. You boys getting along okay here? We sure are. I've always liked horses. Now I do them for a living. And you save asses for a living, huh, Carl? Yeah, it looks like it. And you're one of them fancy cartographers now, am I right? Negotiating and such? Being all merciful with folks like us? His tone was genuine, and there was a note of real gratitude in there. What are you so fucking sore over? Sitting there with a face like a bulldog licking piss off a nettle. She does look like that. You're right there. Well, since I was about yay high, I said, indicating several feet below my neck, folks have been deciding on the path of my life. And I got to thinking about that recently. First my parents, then my guardian, then the government. We know. You told us all three times on the way up here. But it just seems wrong that a person don't get to choose, is all I'm saying. It's my life, after all. You're upset because folks are always telling you what to do. Well, la-dee-da. Check out the indeterminism on this one, Virgil. Shut up. What was your problem, Wed? Your parents sent you somewhere safe, hoping you might stay alive, and you did. Your guardian figured out you had what it took to help bring the country back from, uh, what do you call it there, uh, apocalypse? So you're one of the chosen few that are considered smart enough to teach us shit-kicking rednecks how to play nice. And you've got a hair up your tight ass because they're not kicking open the gates, giving y'all a free horse, and asking you precisely what you want to do with your God-blessed life. Virgil, fetch me a harmonica. Why? Because we're all out of violins and this cowgirl needs a sad, sad song. All right, fuck you. That's my name, apparently. What are you boys doing tonight? Entertaining the wives. I called over my shoulder as I headed for a welcome rest. Get them to come to the saloon. I've got military credit, and I'm buying. You have been listening to episode 23 of Secret Rooms, Definitive Edition, Settling Dust, written and directed by Alexander Shaw. James Penrose and Carl, performed by Alex Shaw. Abigail Gray, performed by Sharon Shaw. Annie Oakley, performed by Loretta Saylor. And Virgil, performed by Victoria Grieve. Stoic Morning, Pepper's Theme, Long Road Ahead, and Ossuary. Composed and performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Make your decision by Dan Phillipson of Shockwave Sound. Many soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. 
Our $15 patrons get sponsor credit every episode, so thank you too. Joel Robinson, Benjamin Biddle, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Trey Contreras, Matthew Webb, Connor Kennedy, Angus Lee, Marty Huey, David Sheely, Kevin Vey, Daniel Salguero, Brian Novak, Evan Jankowski, Sarah Montgomery, Dan Hepner, Johan Clayson, Tyler Long, Joe Gesiga, Greg Downing, Tim Rosensky, Christopher Wolfe, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Luksh, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Dashler, Frankie Punzi, and Lorraine Chisholm. Uncivil Outlaw, the first book after Steamheart, the beginning of Phase 2 of the New Century Multiverse, the audio drama series, is in production and will begin its release at the end of Secret Rooms. Meanwhile, the novel is available on Amazon, on the Kindle store, and in paperback form. It's a real page-turner, and it could definitely use a few reviews.